0: Welcome to Sailing Through Life, a journey to health, happiness, and living your dreams. My name is Lori and I'm your host. My special guest today is Dr. Amelia Dewey. She is an occupational therapist and has helped many clients navigate life after cancer treatments and surgery, return to exercise, and a pain-free life post-cancer treatment. She has also helped problem-solve many lifestyle adaptations that her clients have had to face to manage their lymphedema a serious and misunderstood chronic illness. Join me as we set sail on this adventure to discover ways to take care of yourself, find the positive in life, and continue to dream, even when going through some of your darkest days. Listen to my inspiring guests as they share their stories and give hope to help you on your journey. Amelia graduated with a clinical doctorate degree in Occupational Therapy. She has been working with her clients for the last 10 years and has created her own approach to occupational therapy practice in neurological and cancer rehabilitation. Amelia is passionate about raising awareness for lymphedema, as well as providing resources to help patients navigate through the lifestyle changes and adaptation that they have to make to thrive in living with lymphedema. When you are diagnosed with a chronic disease,
1: that is your body telling you that that something's going on in your body. So I think in general, especially in the Western world, we are thought to go as hard as we can to just keep pulling the boots strapped and keep going hard and don't pay
0: attention to the body
1: until it becomes an issue.
0: My episode today with Amelia is Undercurrents. Our conversation will cover the importance of the lymphatic system the cause and effect of lymphedema, treating and maintaining lymphedema, and is it possible to live a normal life with lymphedema? Please welcome Amelia. Hello, Amelia. Hi, Lori. how are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for joining me today in this interesting conversation about lymphedema. Um, I really wanted to get, another point of view. It's always interesting to talk to people about different things, but you have an expertise that affects me personally uh, when it comes to lymphedema and especially it being post-cancer. So I wanted to really thank you for your time today to not only enlighten me, but uh, any of the listeners that are dealing with this currently. So thank you. Yeah, know you're
1: welcome. Thank you so much also for inviting me to be a speaker in your podcast. I mean, obviously, lymphedema is one of my area of interest. And that's actually one of the reasons why I start, I guess, more involved in social media was because I realized that many healthcare professionals don't even know about lymphedema, number one. And number two, lymphedema is a chronic disease where if you start treatment early, you'll get much better results. So I'm hoping that by us together raising awareness that we can help so many more people not having the really chronic, long-lasting, severe debilitative effect of lymphedema. So, yes. Thank you. Thank
0: you. So I decided today's topic was going to be undercurrents. And the body being such an amazing machine is very complex. And all the systems that that create us and maintain our existence is incredible, the system we're talking about today is the lymphatic system, and it's truly fascinating when you look at it because it's so very complicated, and it is a problem with being diagnosed uh, because I think a lot of times it's overlooked, it's not addressed, or it's really misunderstood. So I wanted to get into more about what is the lymphatic system, and what is the importance of it? Yes. um,
1: (laughs) Your conversation today just comes really at the perfect time because I just studied for my LANA certification, and LANA is like another certification for lymphedema where we review a ton about the physiology of the lymphatic system. So in a nutshell, your lymphatic system is basically a huge part of your immune system, and it's a huge part of your... um, detoxification system. so in your lymph nodes they house your B cells your T cells. So those things are the ones that recognize your the antigens that comes from outside of your body and then also the T cells will then you know being deployed to either suppress it to destroy it or to kill it right the killer T cells. So I think that's something that is really missing in our understanding of the lymphatic system because you don't hear about it typically until you have swelling for a very long time. Or until you have cancer and the doctor was like, we're going to check your lymph nodes and see if the cancer has spread there. But until then, you probably never have any PCP or your regular physician asking you about, oh, do you do anything for your lymphatic system, right? But right. nowadays, with the understanding of the lymphatic system, there are more research that are connecting the lymphatic system and the deficiencies of your lymphatic system with many chronic diseases, not only lymphedema, but also autoimmune disease, And because you also have lymphatic system in your head and neck and your brain, um, a lack of filtration in the lymphatic system in the brain actually can lead to increased protein deposit. And that has been associated with diseases such as Parkinsonism and also Alzheimer. So I think there is just a lot of information that we still don't know about the
0: lymphatic system because it's been the stepchild of the medical community for such a long time. And that's interesting, you know. You don't think about everybody says, you know, where are your lymph nodes? You always know, go to your neck, you know, when you are growing up and and you're, you get strep throat or something. They're always checking your lymph nodes there. But to think about how widespread that system is, and then the connection to you are talking about T cells, and I am thinking there is cancer, and cancer goes to the lymph nodes, and and that's that's pretty much the highway for these things to spread through your body, isn't that right?
1: Yes. I think our understanding is that because your lymph nodes is a huge part, again, of your filtration system. So all the antigens will go through your lymph nodes. So yes, that's absolutely, that's like one of the pathway that we're thinking that cancer can spread.
0: Okay. You have this, the system in place to try to purge out anything foreign that it doesn't recognize to detoxify and purge all these things out of your system. And- When you get cancer, that's the first place they check. And I actually, when I had my original diagnosis before they did the surgery, um, they used a a radioactive material and injected it in the site where the cancer was detected. And within second, I mean, not even a split second, everything in my body lit up. But the first place that lit up, that sentinel lymph node, was the one they went after for the surgery. And it's amazing how fast. That happens, how fast that goes to your body. And you think about how incredible that whole effect is and what it does. It's one of those things, the more I learn about it, the more intrigued I am by it. And then the after effects of surgery leading up to actually having lymphedema makes me want to understand it on the other side of it as well. So you started working with lymphedema patients. What was the focus? What triggered that direction for you to go? Actually, I was
1: a student. I was an occupational therapy student and my clinical instructor at that time, w- I have two of them and both of them were CLTs. They're a certified lymphedema therapists. So I get to see firsthand how lymphedema treatment can be very effective, but at the same time how lymphedema as a chronic disease can be very progressive and can be very debilitating in nature. I will never forget there was this man who came in um, for lymphedema treatment and wound care treatment because he has it in his legs because of finness insufficiency. That's another huge cause of lymphedema in United States. And that man's legs were super hard. I mean, when you touch it, it, it doesn't feel like normal tissue. It feels like mm. leather. And the, the tissue is even harder. And this man has um, stage 2 or stage 3 wounds, and he come in for that too. And I can just... I can smell the, you know like the, the wounds that they were treating and I can hear him screaming because when they're doing the de- debridement of the wound, it was very painful for him. Mm-hmm. He had the lymphedema treatment help with all that. So I think it just make a really huge impact. And when I was um, for my occupational therapy doctorate project, actually my project was this was 2009, 2010, so it was on rehabilitation services for a uh, patient with breast cancer. So I get to learn a lot more about breast cancer, uh, about the services that should should happen in the beginning, right? Like you mentioned earlier, like it's not very well talked about and not well diagnosed. So we we in the rehabilitation world really believe that patients should receive rehabilitation services from the moment they were diagnosed. So then we can guide them through some of these choices, some of this exercises and education that you need to know as you're going through your diagnosis. So that was the beginning um, Rehabilitation. I didn't know anything about cancer or lymphedema before that point, but I guess since then I was just um, very, I guess, amazed with the lymphatic system, lymphode- lymphedema treatment, and the rest is kind of history. Because when I moved to Houston, I thought I was going to work in a neuro rehab facility, and then a year later they decided to open their first lymphedema program. So I got certified then, and the rest is sort of history.
0: Through your experience and understanding things, and that exposure, that kind of clicked with you. And, and now you mentioned about the patient that you're referring to, um, the what he was diagnosed with. What are some of the things that cause lymphedema, and and then what are the effects of lymphedema? Do they vary by what you're diagnosed with or what brings it on?
1: Yes. Um, there are two types, two major types of lymphedema if we have to break it down. The first one is primary lymphedema. So that's when you were born with uh, abnormal, I guess I would say, lymphatic system. So it's either underdeveloped or overdeveloped lymphatic system. So that can show up at birth or that can show up around uh, the time of puberty. And that generally tends to happen in the legs. Mm -hmm. There are several um, types of primary lymphedema and some of them are tied to some kind of like chromosome um, defect or missing chromosomes or some genetic um, defects. So again, that usually happens in the lakes. But in the United States, secondary lymphedema or lymphedema that happen because of trauma in the lymphatic system are a little bit more common. I guess everywhere else too. So the two most common cause of lymphedema that is because of trauma to the lymphatic system is because of cancer treatment and then venous insufficiency. And then there's also other things like surgery. Um, I mean, I met a lady who got lymphedema because she was a, a victim of hit and run, and she had to have extensive surgery in her leg, and then she had recurring uh, infection in her knee. So all that can really overwhelm your lymphatic system. So basically, mm-hmm. but I mean- The big two is that I see in the clinic is because of cancer treatment and chronic venous insufficiency. So with chronic venous insufficiency, I know we're going to talk about the cancer part a little bit more later, but with the chronic Mm -hmm. venous insufficiency, um, you know, it happens because your venous system is not pumping blood back to the heart as fast as it used to. So it becomes less efficient. It can happen because, you know, when people stand on their feet all day long or they sit down all day long, actually it reduce your ability to kind of pump the blood back to the heart you know it's like it's like too much sitting and too much standing it's not good for you and then when that happens for a long period of time you start having swelling and then the swelling then overwhelm the lymphatic system and then then what we we have what we call phlebo and you have lymphedema because
0: of venous insufficiency are there genetic predispositions to it or is it simply just um just a cause and effect Great question. I love it. I think we we are now
1: thinking um, with the recent studies, and I don't know if you're familiar with the ICG green study, like the endocyanin green studies.
0: So mm-hmm.
1: there's a there's a researcher out of Houston, Dr. Eva Civic. You should look her up. She has amazing resa- um, research, and she does a lot of talk on um, le- uh, Learn. So you can find it on yes. YouTube. Yes. So she talks about you know doing this imaging study right for the lymph- lymphatic system because previous to this we have very minimal like real life um, option for imaging for a lymphatic system so lymphocentiography is one of them but it's a little bit more invasive with I- endocyanin green is basically they inject a green dye to your lymphatic system like subcutaneously and then they put you under near infrared light and they image your lymphatic system so you can see um, the lymphatic vessel pumping in real time. So wow. some of the research suggests actually with some of these patients who quote-unquote have uh, secondary lymphedema, they actually have family members who have sluggish lymphatic system, but it hasn't turned into lymphedema. Mm-hmm. So I think the research world now is kind of thinking like, okay, do we really have primary and secondary lymphedema? Or it might be some people may already have a, genetic predisposition for lymphedema, but it doesn't show up as lymphedema until a trauma happened. So we don't know. So great question. I guess we'll know maybe in 10,
0: 20 years. See, we're ahead of our time. (laughs) (laughs) So when you deal with uh, lymphedema after cancer, there's a lot of different things that happen. And I know the lymphedema was brought on for me because of the surgery. But I also know the radiation for treat- treatment of cancer is also very destructive and can cause lymphedema as well.
1: Yes. So if we're looking at statistics, when somebody has what you co- what you said earlier, sentinel lymph node biopsy, so they only take out a few of the lymph nodes that drain um, the area where the cancer was, you know, the first few nodes, your mm-hmm. risk for lymphedema after sentinel lymph node biopsy in a breast cancer treatment is about six percent. But then when you pair that with radiation and chemotherapy, that statistics goes up to 31% and up. So you're absolutely right. Because if you think about it, right, when we take out the lymph nodes from the axilla, usually we're talking about breast cancer. Those are the nodes, like we said earlier, it's the one that filters, This is the one that helps with the detoxification process and help with the lymphatic system. So when you take those structures out, it actually costs number one, well, the structures are gone forever. It doesn't grow back. And number two, it costs that scarring in the area where now you have scar tissue. And I think so far we we all agree that lymphatic fluid doesn't really move through scar very well. We kind of have to go around it. So when you have scar tissue mixed with lack of um, structures that help process the lymphatic fluid, I like to equate it like when you have when you have a freeway and you have to pay toll and the booth are closed and then you have an accident, then you're gonna have a huge black flow that goes all the way um to the other mm-hmm. side of town. So that's kind of what happened to your your arm or whatever, you know, whatever limbs it is, is that there's a missing structure and there is a scar tissue. So there's a backflow that's going to happen in the associated limbs.
0: Yes. And what I've experienced, because my cancer was um, started on the side of my leg, um, the lymph nodes that were taken out are in the, the upper leg groin area. But I also know that affects All your abdomen too. When that fluid starts building up in my leg, I can feel it coming up into my abdomen. And um, between the exercises and what I do with the compression garments, and then also I have uh, a leg pump that I use that's got the trunk piece uh, to help move that fluid out and and purge that. So I've learned over the time that I've had to deal with this when it's time to really start being more aggressive with treating it and staying on top of it, um, drinking fluids really helps diet is extremely important. I'm all about, you know, maintaining things through what you eat. I'm, I feel extremely fortunate that it's something I'm able to maintain without the drastic type of, of resolve that some people have to deal with, um, in, in lymphedema. You know, I can, I can, possibly get away with a day without worrying about, you know, the compression stockings, depending on the weather and how hydrated I stay. And, and I've always tried to figure out the best way to kind of manage this, um, without getting too dependent on other things. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very detailed. It's very, um, very involved when you, when you start really looking at, the cause and effects of, of this and, and how it affects people. So,
1: yeah. And you brought up so many great points there. I took some notes just because I was like, the first one is abdominal. <laughs> yes. The abdominal swelling that can happen when you are moving the fluid up. That is a real thing. Not only abdominal, but sometimes people do get it, especially men in their genitals, because you know, the genital skin, gen- genitalia skin is like one of the softest skin in your entire, like lower body. Right. So, fluid likes to go where it's soft and <laughs> squishy. So, you know, I'm just saying that it's right because there's no muscle there too. So, you know, you um a lot of people who have lymphedema for a long period of time in their legs and when the lymphedema move up, it can really affect their genital and it can really affect their their abdominal. And one of the things that I didn't even truly realize and appreciate until last year was that your abdominal has the most lymphatic nodes. I think in the whole like the the region at itself has the most emphatic nodes in the whole entire body like out of the six to seven hundreds that we have in the whole entire body a third of it is in the the abdominal area which makes sense because we and then another quarter to a third is in the neck and the mouth area which makes sense because that's our where we get all of our antigens from right from the air that we Mm -hmm. breathe and then the food that we eat the fluid that we drink all that stuff so Whenever somebody have lymph nodes removal in the legs or lymphedema in the legs and they have had, this is what I noticed, this is not, I have been researching, I haven't found a lot of statistics, but when they also have history of abdominal surgery, whether that be hernia repair or C-section or gallbladder removal, like things of that nature, it tends to um, affect whether or not they have swelling in their abdominal. So addressing the abdominals, especially with lymphatic drainage and also diaphragmatic breathing is very important because we need that powerhouse of lymphatic nodes to to move in order for the lymphatic to kind of keep going up and get
0: processed. I know you've developed different services for your patients that have gone through cancer or dealing with lymphedema and wanted to just elaborate on, on some of those things that, that you've come up with or put into place to help your clientele with what they're dealing with.
1: Yeah. So initially they would come in for more um, regular therapy sessions, right? You probably have that with your physical therapist or you come in between, I know the recommendation when you have lymphedema is four to five times a week i used to do that with my patients eight years ago but i know like other people will be judging me but nowadays i i almost can't because of insurance limitation patient copay so we're seeing them maybe two to three times a week in the beginning depending on how severe is their symptoms and how much help they need in the beginning for you know because with lymphedema sometimes you need to start with wrapping And with cancer um, patients who just been through treatment, sometimes they don't need wrapping yet. They just need compression. So the frequency Mm kind of depends on that. And, you know, on day one, we start teaching them home program. So exercises, you know, basic range of motion exercises, because we know that exercise and muscle pumps help to pump the lymphatic. So that is day one we need to teach patient. And also number two is diaphragmatic breathing. Like I mentioned a third of your lymph nodes is an abdominal area. So when you do abdominal breathing, you activate the lymph nodes um, that are in the abdominal. I've seen it for a fact because, you know, the ICG green technology that I was talking about earlier last Mm in 2019, I went to a course and Dr. Civic was there and she brought in her equipment and we get to sort of play with it and see in real time, what does it look like? So my coworker at that time, was one of the, I guess, guinea pig test subjects. So she got ICG green injected to her arm. And then we can see the imaging that, you know, like her lymphatic vessels is pumping beautifully, slowly. But then when she start doing deep breathing, we can see that the pumping gets faster. That was the first time when I, be- I really believe that diaphragmatic breathing actually helps with lymphatic pumping. Because before that, I'm like, okay, you're breathing. That's great. I mean, does it really move the lymphatics? I don't know. When you see that in real time that the lymphatic vessels pump faster when you're breathing deeply, I was blown away. And since then, I teach all that to my patients. And I share the story over and over again because I need a buy-in from them that they need to do their diaphragmatic breathing. Um, And then for, you know, like another treatment approach that we would teach our patient is self-manual lymphatic drainage. You mentioned the pump. I mean, that's a great tool because... I feel like if I'm a patient, there is really no way that I can do my manual lymphatic drainage consistently every single day, like 15, 20 minutes. So the pneumatic pump is something that I highly recommend to a lot of my patients if they qualify for it. As you know, there's certain um, qualification that you need to meet in order to get a pump and different insurance may not cover it. But if somebody qualify and they have an insurance that will pay for it, I will always recommend that because... I notice that patients are more compliant with their home program when they have the assistance of the machine. And then finally we start talking about compression. If somebody needs compression and we talk about, you know, what class they need and where can they get it. Or if somebody needs bandaging, then I tell them about bandaging or the Velcro alternative garment option because they need to reduce first before we can transition to a garment. So On day one, when you come for an evaluation, we talk about all that stuff and the options and, you know, just really educate the patient to make their own health decision. Because as you know, and you mentioned earlier that there are so many triggers and lifestyle maintenance when it comes to lymphedema. My part as a clinician is to empower them in this journey um, and to give them their options because... It's something that you have to do for the rest of your life, you know, because your life has changed. And I have seen when patients are not buying into the program and they just come to treatment and they just do it. One one of the ladies that I serve, I saw her for a whole month. We wrapped every single day for a whole month. And then just about when she's getting ready, so she was her arm was 48% bigger than the other arm. So that's huge, as you know, with the arm. And mm-hmm. then we went down to all the way to 20% difference, which is... Not the best yet, but she would start to plateau. So I'm like, okay. Yeah, that's dramatic considering where she started from though. Yes. And then she, you know, it's time for us to get the garments. So she was waiting for the garments. But in that two weeks, because she started wrapping herself. So I was like, okay, you can just do it at home. She's tired of going to therapy. I was like, it's fine. But then she came back and she stopped doing anything for two entire weeks while she was waiting for her garment and her measurement went back up again all the way back to where we started so and she was like I'm just done with this I can't do this anymore so that 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 was, that was happened to me pretty early on in my career as a lymphedema therapist and that taught me a really big lesson that you know like if the patient number one I need to watch for that sign of burnout and make sure that they transition to something easier before mm-hmm. they burn out and number two, like they need to know and buy in into the program because otherwise, it's almost like the four weeks that we spent together, all the wrapping, all the money that their insurance
0: has spent on us, kind of going down the drain. It is serious, so you you can't push it off too long. I you know I understand if you, like. If I'm super tired at the end of the day, and I know my legs kind of bugging me a little bit, the next day I really take a lot of precautions with. Even if I have to elevate my leg and drink extra fluid and do some exercise, it's just something to bridge until I can do the pneumatic pump or do a compression stocking in the morning, just to just to get a jump start on it. But it is it's hard, and and you don't realize what is involved with the maintaining of where you're at or working toward reducing that swelling to get it to something you can maintain. And people don't realize it is for the rest of your life. And that's why I always try to, I don't know, want to say push the envelope, but I try to see how far I can go with before I start feeling like there's something I need to address just to kind of find that balance and, and, you don't want to feel like you have to do something all the time because you're trying to get back into your quote unquote normal life and you're not going to have that again, but you always try and, you know, try to do the things that everybody else does. I know that if I'm extremely physical one day, it's kind of a catch 22 as to whether it's going to feel better or it's going to feel worse. And I have to still find where that flip is, if I do a little too much, it causes more problems for me than if, you know, I would have simplified it maybe a little bit, the activity and and not been so physical. So that's something I'm still working through. Do you see that as somebody goes through a diagnosis like this, that they can live that quote unquote normal life after they've been diagnosed? That is a great question and I think with
1: anything else, when you are diagnosed with a chronic disease, right, that is your body telling you that that something's going on in your body and you cannot live the same way like you used Mm -hmm. to before. So I think in general, especially in the Western world, we are thought to go as hard as we can to just keep pulling the boots straps and keep going hard and don't pay attention to the body until it becomes an issue. So I don't think you can go back to that normal life, you know, like the normal life where you just go hard and not just mm-hmm. slow down. I think in any chronic diseases, I mean, I've, I've seen patients not only with lymphedema, but also with cancer and also with Parkinsonism, Parkinson's disease, um, spinal cord injury, stroke, there is no going back to the normal before the diagnosis, I don't think but there is some level of normalcy that you can get back of like participating in your daily life but the pace will be different and like kind of what you're saying you you need to pay more attention to your body but i kind of wonder now you know like just been doing this for 10 years is like we probably should have done that from the very Mm -hmm. beginning you know because chronic diseases are just signs and some symptoms that our body's telling us that something's going on so i think if we are trying to go back to the normal when everything is great and there's nothing going on. That is almost impossible because that was our adrenaline. Just keep going. Like we're just going into that, going back and forth between, you know, like just keep going that sympathetic um, nervous system. Just keep going like, okay, fight or flight, fight or flight, fight or flight. But then when you are diagnosed with a chronic disease, that fight or flight nervous system doesn't really work anymore. We can't just keep going. So our body's telling us to slow down. So but at the same time, like I think people like you who have learned, right? I think the key from your story is that a couple of things. Number one, you're okay with adapting and in- incorporating those lifestyle change into your life. But number two, you are okay and open to learn about your body. And I think that's a really important thing for patients to learn is that knowing your limit. Because like you said, for example, exercise is great for muscle pumping. But when you do too much, you're actually exceeding your trans your lymphatic transport capacity. So, your lymphatic system is like, no, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not, I don't, I can't really push that much fluid. So they kind of sluggish, and then you have the discomfort the next day. So I think that balance between yes, I'm gonna do what my body needs, and number two, but I'm gonna push it and see how much limit I can get before my body needs it. That is. Learning about your body, and that is actually learning to honor your body in a different way than we have before. Because, like, you know, like we talked about earlier, like if you just keep going and pushing, we actually don't really honor our body, we don't really care about it. But now you're learning to do your own self care, Laurie. And I think that is, I encourage that to my patient. I always tell them, okay, like if their lymphedema is more manageable, I was like, just try go for a few hours without garments, see how you feel. But when you feel like things are start putting back up, then you know what to do. Put on your pump, do some exercise, do your compression. But I encourage them to test their limit because, you know, if it were me who
0: have to do with this thing, I would be doing the same thing. I think about all the the different aspects of, of what I've been through when, and I can only speak on my perception of melanoma but when you're first diagnosed with melanoma and you know the misconception of it's skin cancer you just it's you just cut it off and it goes away and you know when you learn how serious that is and and how destructive that is you you almost want to just hide yourself from any sunshine or do anything and it's over time you get more comfortable with with being outside and, and doing the preventative things to protect yourself with covering up and wearing sunscreen. And so I had to learn that part of the new life I had um, before I ended up dealing with this lymphedema side. And perhaps that's why I've been so adaptive to it is because just a year before I, was, I felt like I had to live in a cave and I had to talk myself through. It's not black or white. It's not this or that. It's managing the the balance between those two extremes to actually function and have a, a life that you can actually live and not feel so debilitated because of this diagnosis or this situation. So I know it's hard. And again, I feel very grateful that I'm not Laid up in bed and have to have physical therapy every day. Um, I've I've tried to figure out the best way to handle this, but it's a lot, and it it takes up a lot of your time in the day to think about what are you going to wear and how do you accommodate how you are feeling with how the swelling is, and you know trying to prepare for what the day might come and and be proactive at preventing any additional swelling, just like you would get up, brush your teeth. Put on your sunscreen. I mean, there's it you work those things into your daily habits so that you're aware of and doing everything you can to protect yourself and extend your life as healthily as you can.
1: Yes, absolutely. I I mean you you know you nail it down. Cause I mean that's what I told my patient is that you know you learn to brush your teeth every day. So now compression and pneumatic pump and exercise have to be a part of your routine. And recently I have a taste on my own medicine, right? So I went to a naturopath and he gave me a ton of homeopathic because my um, my lymphatic system and some of my detoxification system is not working well, according to his test. So I was like, I spent 15 minutes taking homeopathic every single morning, 10 minutes at lunch, and then 15 minutes in the af- at night. And I have to time it in between my meals because you have to be taken 30 minutes before meal or an hour after meal. So I have to rearrange my life around my treatment right now. And, you know, I think I would probably will not be ready. Like I would ha- would not have been ready five years mm-hmm. or 10 years ago, but I'm at the point in my life now where I'm ready to make those changes. And I'm like, okay, I think my body is telling me something and I need to follow it. It is not convenient. And I realized that, and I think it has given me a lot more grace to my patient because, you know, before as a healthcare professional, you're like, well, I'm giving you all this homework and you didn't do it. So you're just not committed. But I think there's a lot more to not doing the homework than just not being committed because it can be overwhelming. It can be very tiring, not to mention all of the other things that you already have on your plate. So I think, yes, both grace from your therapist to kind of give you like your handles and your strategies, but also like willingness and readiness to change from the patient. I think that makes for a really good home program and good like long-term care for the patient.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's an excellent point. And I do agree that when things are overwhelming, even if you just break it down to the simplest things that you have to do and give yourself grace to know that some of those things will have to wait till another time and just get, become your best self where you're at right now. Nobody can make all the changes all at once and be better tomorrow. It's it's an evolution of your situation and always trying to make a step toward the right direction to give yourself that better life. You've already had a warning sign with your health and you know what the options are. And if you don't take it serious, you're you're not putting yourself in a very good position to be successful in living your best life possible. So I really do try to practice what I preach, you know, with How I live my life, and you—you do slip up, and you—you learn from it, and you learn how to adapt and make those changes. And even if it's something simple, but you have to start somewhere, and that's—that's the big hurdle sometimes for people. So,
1: yes, I agree with you. I think what you said earlier, breaking it down to the simplest. Task of what you absolutely need to do I think sometimes people just need to hear that okay if you cannot do the five things that I tell you just do these two things just take a deep breath in the morning and move because that will help your lymphatic system and you know I think if you give people better handle and better strategies from the small things and they start seeing success that's what keeps them going right because I'm the same way like when I do my homework for my therapist or my naturopath I'm like okay if I feel better I'm like oh I want to do it again But if I feel like I fail, it's like, oh, he told me that I need to do 10 minutes and I didn't do it. That sense is like the message of failure to me. And I was like, okay, I just get more depressed and then you get into that cycle and then you don't do it at all. So I think getting that as a healthcare professional, my role is to help the patient break it down into small things that they can do, give them success and then keep them like adding more things as we go as they are able to. So yes.
0: So I wanted to um, just kind of get into some of your background quickly and just some of the other things that you do and are involved with as far as other aspects of your practice.
1: Um, Okay. So I am an occupational therapist and certified in lymphedema therapy and also in neurorehabilitation. So I work for an outpatient-based clinic, outpatient hospital-based clinic in Houston. Um, so part of my role there is I'm also the cancer program manager. So I help like right now we just started about a year ago, but we're like really trying to change competency, um, and develop our competency for cancer rehabilitation across our system because we have six to seven different outpatient sites and a couple, two, no, three inpatient sites where we really need to kind of like streamline our services and streamline our, um, outcome measures and different things like that for our patients. So that is one of my projects right now. And I'm also um, involved in OT fellowship. So it's basically a postgraduate training for occupational therapists who have had their degree and they have their license, but they want to specialize in needle rehab. So that's part of my role at work on top of just seeing um, my patients as, as always. Uh, so now I only see patients two days a week, but outside of my work role, you know, because I'm always educating and teaching patients and other therapists there. But I also got involved more in Instagram last Mm -hmm. year. And my goal is to, like I mentioned earlier, to increase awareness of lymphedema and to inspire other OT 2 to maybe get involved in lymphedema, but also in other ways, because I do feel as an occupational therapist, when I first graduate and I work in a physical disability rehabilitation setting, mentorship is something that, we don't get easily because of the demand of our profession and the demand of the hospital system where you work and you see patients and there's just so much um, work associated with that. So I think I use social media as a way to connect with other practitioners and also other um, non-practitioners to tell them about lymphedema, about occupational therapy and what we can do better together as a community. So I don't really do a lot of um, formal teachings, but I have presented at different, um, invited to speak about lymphedema in different OT classes or PTA class. And I do enjoy that because I think, you know, with my experience experiencing lymphedema treatment as a student, I think that really impacted me. So I think the more I can share with OT students and PT students, I think, that can really help us as a whole because we need more therapists <laughs> you probably know that like lymphedema therapist is not as easy to find number one and number two lymphedema services is also not as easy to find because um you know it can be very expensive for the clinic to to help with this i mean we haven't even gone to the cost of maintaining lymphedema as you know it's 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 quite pricey and it's it's it can be quite significant so that again the earlier we treat
0: it, the better. Well, and and to go back to the main thing you said about your your lymphatic system and how that how much that monitors and how much that is involved in your health and your immune system and so just even without all the other things that happen, just being healthy and having your lymphatic system healthy. Is, is across the board for everybody, um, being aware of how, when that fails or when there's a dysfunction in that system, how to address that and and work through getting that back into uh, a better functioning system. You know, there, there's all those layers, but it's, it's just no matter who you are, it's something to learn about. And it's amazing that there are so many people that don't understand it. And I'm with you with making people aware of it and, and how impactful it is on your your life and how you live. And you don't want to go there. I, you know, nobody wants this diagnosis and, you know, you see the worst case scenarios that scared me enough to see if you don't take care of it, where you're going to end up. Um, and so, you know, it is it is something that personally I've just made it A focus to always stay on top of the best I can. And if it's beyond my scope to definitely check in with a physical therapist. And I do agree that there needs to be more focus on this. I know I've looked into learn the, the lymphedema, um, Organization and I've kind of gotten into following them um, a little bit more. And I think when I think it was Kathy Bates who recently became like the the, the spokesperson to really bring mm-hmm. forth the awareness of it. Um, it. It's I do believe it's something that should be more out there and people should be more aware of. And like you were saying, perhaps in time, the more research that comes out, the more people will take it serious. So.
1: Yes. No, I mean, I think in the last 10 years I have seen, you know, since I was a student and now I have seen more and more awareness of lymphedema, especially among the cancer um, medical team, you know, like right now, like we, in our facility, we work with a lot of oncologists who would send their patient prehabitatively like before even they have treatment and sometimes it depends on the timing mm-hmm. of it all but definitely after the surgery whenever lymph nodes is removed and radiation is dental to the axillary they would refer their patients to us even before they have like more severe lymphedema so i think that is a great change even compared to seven years ago when i first started working as a lymphedema therapist because before then before that we have to like advocate for the profession we have to um you know, really ask the doctor for referrals. And now it's almost automatic that, oh, this person have surgery, they're going to get their lymph nodes out, and
0: they're going to have radiation, send them right. to therapy. That's so, yeah. very um, exciting. And I think that's a great sign that, you know, the, the awareness and all that everybody's trying to do to bring awareness to this, that's all starting to show signs of people taking this and, and making that shift to the importance of it. So that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah,
1: I think we definitely are moving in the right direction. Maybe not in every side, you know, because if you're somebody's living in a more rural area, there may not be as many services. But I think definitely in the big cities and big cancer centers, therapy services are way more accessible than it was nine right. years ago. So, right.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time, Amelia. I really, I really appreciate all your information and bringing awareness to it is it was the biggest part of our conversation today and to help people understand the importance and how this can be something that you know you're going to have to deal with daily and how to maintain it so so thank you
1: thank you so much for your time today lori i really enjoyed talking to you and just learning from you too so thank you thank you
0: Thank you for listening to my chat with Dr. Amelia Dewey. I hope you found this episode informative. Her passion and knowledge to help others through these difficult health challenges is so appreciated. You can learn more about Amelia on Instagram at the underscore lymph underscore therapist. The link will be in the episode description. If you or someone you care about would like to share their experience or know of an organization to help even just one person, please message me on Instagram at sailing through life podcast. How do you sail through life? Join me on this endeavor. I would love to grow this caring support community. Be sure to subscribe to the show. You can find me on your favorite podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. I'd be grateful if you could leave a review and share it. If you have any thoughts on today's episode or topics you'd like me to further touch on, please message me at Sailing Through Life Podcast on Instagram or on Anchor FM. I would also appreciate if you could support my podcast. Please visit Anchor FM to find out more. Thanks again. Chat with you next time.